welcome to Inside the Admissions Office, your one-stop shop for expert advice on the smart way to get in. My name is Ellen, and each episode, I'll bring you an interview with a former admissions officer, a graduate of a top college, or an admissions expert. These interviews will take you inside the admissions office and be full of behind-the-scenes knowledge, first-hand experiences, and application tips to help you get into your dream school. If you'd like to chat with one of these experts, you can sign up for a free consultation with the link in the description of this episode. I would just like to make an announcement before we get into today's episode that this will be my last episode. I am moving on from this role, but it's been, you know, a blessing to be here. So the podcast will be on a short hiatus, but it'll be back later this year, bigger, better than ever. You won't even miss me. Anyway, (laughs) so today we'll hear from Poto Paramita, an ingenious prep graduate coach and our digital content manager and Vicky Rosenthal-Madrid, our Assistant Director of Marketing, about how some of our real students this year were accepted to Brown, MIT, and Rice. Hi, how are you all today? I'm good. Hi, Ellen. Hi, Vicky. Hi, Polo. Hi, Ellen. I'm doing really well today. Obviously, a little bit sad to know that our podcast host is moving forward, but just like she said, we are going to have a wonderful hiatus and a wonderful time coming back. Thank you for those kind words. Polo, do you just want to give, and this will be Polo's last episode too, so this is a a real tearjerker. Everybody has their Kleenexes. Poto, do you just want to quickly give everybody your background for new fans? Yeah, absolutely. I am originally from Bangladesh. I graduated from Wolsey College with double major in English and Women's and Gender Studies. I started in Genius as the digital content specialist after that. So that means that I write a lot of blogs and e-resources on the admissions office. I am also a graduate coach and I help students with their applications on a yearly basis. And I just finished my master's in creative writing from Columbia University, and I'm currently teaching English at the University of New Haven. And Vicky? So I was born and raised in Honduras. I also had the international student experience, just like Polo. I got my undergrad at BU up in Boston, and I got my master's at FIU and Miami Ad School in Miami, Florida. I've been working in education marketing for the past three years, and part of my job at Ingenious is to talk to students day to day. So I get a really good picture of the questions and the concerns that our everyday students have. And so this episode is about our real students that we worked with uh, during the most recent 2022 to 2023 early admissions rounds. So really quickly, I'd just like to talk about, you know, some of the trends. So first of all, Poto, what would you say if you had to quickly summarize what makes a successful early application? What lesson could we take from all of our successful early applicants this year? Yeah, absolutely. I think one misconcept, something that people get wrong, is that if you just submit an early application, you're likelier to get in. Statistically, that is true, but it is by no means a guarantee. These schools are all extremely competitive. So as a result, you do have to submit a polished application, one that is really strong and can stand out amongst these students who are all willing to be committed to the college. Often schools do look for fit and commitment. They are very conscientious about yield and they want to maximize that yield. But with something like early decision, they already know that students will commit if they get in. So it becomes all the more competitive in the sense that you are competing against students who are equally committed to the school. So it's important to make sure you're applying to the right institution for you, your good matches for each other. And then you've written your personal statement that fits the kind of students that they look for, as well as written these supplemental essays that highlight that you've done your research and you know that you belong to this place. And what trends have we identified so far in this past early admissions round? 
Yeah, I mean, ever since COVID, the numbers all have become really high and continue to increase. And this year, too, we saw that acceptance rates continue to fall as application numbers continue to rise. I believe MIT, which has had unprecedented numbers throughout the last few years, was the only school among the top ones for which the application numbers fell slightly and the acceptance rate rose slightly, but that really might be because they had such scary numbers in the last couple of cycles. Everything else, you know, Harvard, Yale, Brown, record-breaking numbers, both in terms of acceptances and applications. And I think how this might inform the regular round is that schools have started to take a significant number of their um you know, classes from the early application pool. So we might see even more competitive regular decision applications. So because, especially because with test optional policies, it's just become even more competitive. They start looking at everything else. And so numbers alone are not enough to help a student get in. And so we're talking today about three case studies, and we might refer to like them as our students. Of course, there are company students. We weren't their counselors. We didn't work with these students as their counselors, but we did write their case studies. So we did review you know, pages, hundreds and hundreds of pages of their application materials and candidacy building materials. So if you refer, hear us refer to them as our students, that's why. And we've given each student a name, but of course, those aren't their real names. These are anonymized just to protect these students' privacy. So just to clarify that, but let's start first by just talking about how long our students have worked with us. So my student, Anna, that's what we'll call her. She started with us with our candidacy building program and she worked with us. She did an academic mentorship during that time and then transitioned into AC and she got into Rice. And I think that's one of the reasons she had such successful results is because, you know, whether you're working with us or you're just working on your own early preparation, freshman, sophomore, junior year, that's just essential. And Vicki, how about you? When did your students start working with us? So my student, you know, our students, his name is Alex. That's the name we'll be using today. He worked with us for about two years. He started working with us when he was in 10th grade and he did our candidacy building program and our academic mentorship, as well as our application counseling program. And 10th grade is probably like the most common year students start with us for candidacy building. We definitely have students who start like rising into ninth grade, but often, you know, families are still kind of figuring out high school then. But 10th grade is really the year where families realize that, you know, if they want to get ahead, this is the year to really be strategizing coursework, summer planning, extracurriculars, etc. And Poto, how about you? Yeah, the student I will be talking about today is Mary, and she started working with us in the second semester of her 11th grade. So she did candidacy building for at least six months, which can really help you figure out those last few bits of junior year and then plan that summer before senior year. These are some essential times to go make sure you're in a good spot for 12th grade. And so that's what she did with us. She, you know, worked on summer planning, extracurricular enhancement, test planning, all of these things with us in the candidacy building program. And as I mentioned, the student I'm discussing today, Anna, she did get an early decision to Rice University. So I looked for their acceptance rate for this most recent cycle and I didn't find it. But last year, their ED acceptance rate was 19% versus 8% RD. Um, so Rice is one of these schools where there is a really significant difference between the early and regular decision rounds. So what we usually say is, you know, like if you think Rice is like your one of your top schools, you should very seriously consider applying early decision because Poto said they want to protect their yield. So they're going to be letting in a good majority of their students during that early round. So just, you know, the more students they let in early, the less your chances are during the regular round. I think our team, our education team estimated that UChicago at this point is probably bringing in like 90% of their students during ED1 and ED2. So, you know, it's hard, you obviously have to get everything together by those early November deadlines, but um, there's really nothing like the competitive advantage that applying early can offer. And Vicki, how about you? So your student, they applied early action at MIT and they were accepted? 
Yes. So they were accepted to MIT, which is one of the nine acceptances that we had this year. Extremely exciting. So the MIT, nine acceptances to MIT, not overall, more than nine overall. (laughs) Thank you, Ellen. So the competitive early action cycle at MIT is particularly competitive, just as it is at all of these highly competitive universities. So in 2021, just because they haven't published their 2022 acceptance rate just yet, the early action acceptance rate was 4.7% and the overall acceptance rate was 3.9%. So while there is an advantage, it's definitely not as big as a school like Rice. But it was still definitely for MIT an advantage, and we do encourage our students to take advantage of it. Right. And as a general rule, since early decision or single choice early action, since those are binding, they offer more of a boost than early action. So that's another thing to be mindful of if you're choosing between two schools, one's early action, one's early decision, is that you will likely get a better boost for early decision just because, you know, the school's trying to protect their yield. And then Poto, your student, they were accepted to Brown, but not just to Brown, to Brown PLME. Um, So why don't you just explain to listeners what that program is and just how competitive it is? Because it's some people don't realize it's a lot more competitive than just Brown itself. Absolutely. So Brown's PLME stands for Program in Liberal Medical Education. It is a fast track that guarantees four years undergrad at Brown and then, you know, medical education at the Warren Alpert Medical School, which is the medical school associated with Brown University. So it's a big, big deal. You know, you get into college and then you're guaranteed admission to medical school, which is so huge because medical school admissions is so tough. We deal with that as well. So we know just how competitive it is in sense of the numbers last year, because, you know, just because these Datas are still, you know, being calculated. 3,827 people applied to the PLME program and only 84 were accepted. So that gives PLME an acceptance rate of about 2%. So it is extremely competitive. So we are all very, very happy and impressed with our student, Mary, who got into Brown's PLME. Yeah, I know her counselors were thrilled. We have like a whole big company group chat and everybody was so excited when her acceptance came through. Mm -hmm. And we were also excited just to be able to write this case study. We do get a lot of leads who are interested in BSMD programs. And so it's great to be able to show them what it really takes for a student to get into one of these programs. And Vicki, so do you want to go us just break down your student's stats for us? Of course. So <clears throat> Alex attended a U.S. public school. His GPA was a 4.68 out of four, and that's his weighted GPA. He ranked about four out of 700 in his class rankings. His SAT was a super score of 1560, which is extremely high. He had nine fives and two fours for his APs, and his area of interest was computer science, which is one of the single most competitive majors that students can apply for. And on my end, Anna, she did attend an international public school, so her GPA was a 4.4 weighted. She had a 33 ACT, but a 35 super score, and then some of her interests were in social policy analysis, economic sociology. When I think it's like easy for listeners, parents, students to be like, okay, well, they had like a this amazing high GPA and amazing like SAT, ACT score. Like, of course they got into these schools, but you know, like what's the stat about how many people with like perfect GPAs are rejected from Harvard or like all the valedictorians that are rejected. Yeah. Like 90% Um, of valedictorians are rejected. Yeah. It's like what we say, these are like thresholds. Like you, you likely need to, you don't always have to, but you likely need to meet these thresholds of these GPA and test scores, but in no way they're do they guarantee admissions? And that's what we'll be talking about a little bit later is how they actually did make themselves stand out. But Poto, do you want to go ahead and tell us your student stats? Yeah, my student is from a private STEM high school. She had a GPA weighted of 4.69 out of 4, and her ACT was 35. And other than medicine, which of course, you know, is obvious from the PLME acceptance, she was also interested in Latin and classics and really liked writing poetry. 
And so how we kind of structure these case studies is we like to focus on, and this is similar to how our counselors work, is when they're building a strategy, they're identifying, you know, what are the key challenges or perhaps weaknesses in a student's application profile, and then how can they be fixed? So Vicki, why don't you go ahead and tell us what were your students' key weaknesses? What were their counselors really wanting to work on? So an interesting thing about student A or Alex was that he didn't really have any weaknesses, which is something that we actually encounter at Ingenious. So while it may seem that he doesn't have weaknesses, there are challenges to his application. So his specific challenges were that although he had an incredible resume already, he had really, really good grades. He was still applying to computer science, which is the most competitive major last year. And it remains to be an extremely, extremely competitive major. So what does this mean? It means that students like like him are applying to schools like him. So it's profiles that are very similar to each other. So he really, really needs to stand out. So in terms of his extracurriculars, he was really interested in sports, but unfortunately, outside of his sports involvement, his extracurriculars lack diversity, community involvement, and leadership, which are things that would absolutely help a profile stand out. And especially for how competitive the schools he was applying for and his competitive major, these he really needed to lean into these things and try to get them into his profile to be able to stand out. And then finally, he was just targeting a ton of top 10 schools. So he really, really needed to have an extremely successful application to be able to set himself apart because you have to remember that most of these 90% of electorians that are rejected from Harvard are presenting extremely well put together applications. So you have to stand out amongst the best of the best. I think we can think of like challenges versus weaknesses as like external versus internal. So like you said, an internal is that he had and he didn't have many weaknesses was that his extracurriculars were lacking in like variety. Whereas a challenge, those are external, was, you know, that he was applying to this competitive major to CS, that he was wanting wanting to go to these top 10 schools. And so these are external, like he can't control that CS is competitive, but he can control you know, his application profile, he can't control which schools he applies to, he could apply to, you know, a major that's similar to CS, but like slightly different. So just thinking about like, what you can control versus what you can't. And then for my student, Anna, her weaknesses were she kind of had a lack of leadership. So she did have like a very, you know, significant resume. She was involved in a lot of activities, but because of that, her profile was like a little bit like bloated, like it was kind of confusing. If you have like too many different activities, too much variety, which is like the opposite of Alex's problem, it's hard for the admissions officer to kind of draw like a thread through all your activities and understand who you are. So Anna really needed to connect her activities and she needed to showcase leadership. And she also really needed to showcase impact out of school. Admissions officers in these interviews have previously told me that impact out of school, outside of school is particularly attractive to them because it showcases that, you know, that the student really has initiative. They're not just like joining these things that are already set up inside their school. You know, they're going out into the world and really making that impact. So for Anna, the key was, yeah, she was a great student. Her resume looked great. Her resume was there, but she needed to you know, take that next step, find that leadership, find that impact and build that application persona, which we'll get to next. But Poto, do you want to go and tell us about your students' challenges, their weaknesses? Yeah, absolutely. First, student Mary, of course, the challenge was that PLME as like other BSMD programs were extremely competitive, you know, one to 2% acceptance rates, like guaranteed admission to medical school. That is a big, big deal. And it's, it is treated like that in these institutions. So they do not take the applications lightly. And so this would be a big hurdle 
already. So Mary had this interest in classics and wrote Latin poetry, since it is uncommon for classics majors to be interested in BSMD programs as well. Her application would have to, you know, kind of reflect a connection between classics and medicine. And, you know, to for high schoolers to have an interest in medicine is one thing, but to find those opportunities to really take that interest to the next level is, is a challenge because a lot of actual medical school candidates are also vying for these kinds of positions. So Mary did not have a lot of medical activities where she had an impact on a larger scale or anything beyond her school. Yeah, it's like definitely, I don't know if a catch-22 is the right word, but mm-hmm. with students, like they never want to have these disjointed interests. Like they don't want, they, your application always has to have a narrative. So having like very different interests, that could be a drawback, but if the student can connect them and like find those like interesting connections, as we say, between their different interests, like that's where like the magic happens. Like admissions yeah. officers love that. If you're like talking about like, I don't know what classics, like what Plato said about medicine, like <laughs> that's when an admissions officer is like, oh, like this is a cool kid. I want this kid on campus at Brown. Mm-hmm. And then so Poto, since you're kind of our resident like expert here, do you want to go ahead and define application persona for us before we talk about each of these students' application persona? Yeah, application persona is a very niche and genius prep term. It's extremely useful. It is essentially a theme that sets your application apart from others. So you see what a student has and you connect them and you give them this, you know, fancy-ish title that then informs the rest of their application. So once we kind of say what these application personas were, you'll understand a bit more about how, you know, they they took that going forward. Yeah, it really encompasses like all their past experiences, the classes they've taken, the activities they've pursued, their interests, and it kind of merges them with their future goals so they can you know, admissions officers, they want to be able to like imagine a student on campus, not just in classes, but outside of class, like what's the impact they're going to make on campus. Um, And these application personas are a great, great way for them to do that. And of course, like these application personas, like they're never written out anywhere on the application. The student's like not describing themselves in these terms, but this is like the experience you want the admissions officer to have when they're reading the application. Like this is the person they want to be envisioning. So for Anna, her admissions officer, they created for her, her former admissions officer that she worked with with us, they created the application persona, a cultural economist the passion for music, food, and media. So we see here that they're melding her like academic interests and like sociology, culture, economics, business, and they're melding that with her like personality, music, food, media. And our admissions officers had said that is really important for these students, like these especially high achieving students is, you know, they're all impressive. They all, they're all really smart. The admissions officer knows that they're all going to do great on campus in their classes. The admissions officer wants to know who they are like as a human being. They want to know like, you know, what are they going to do on a Friday night? What clubs are they going to join? Like, how are they going to interact with their peers? Not just like, oh, they're going to do really good in robot class. Uh I didn't study robots in college. So I don't know this class. <laughs> I'm going to stop talking. Vicky, tell me about your student's application persona. Of course. So Alex, who did attend robot classes, is an inspiring computer scientist, an athlete with a passion for exercise science, and a drive to help his community. So Alex had this particular, almost not disjointed, but definitely a little bit niche interest in computer science and exercise science. So the question was how to link these two and how to actually make a relationship between the two. And just to add a little bit, one of the my favorite ways to describe the application persona is like the overarching theme that informs your application, almost like a thesis statement for your application. So this was definitely something that was extremely helpful and it helped it to inform the rest of Alex's application and the strategy when they were working on his materials. And Poto, how about you? Yeah, for student Mary, 
the application persona was a published Latin poet who wants to become a physician. So this is a bit of, you know, contrast, a published Latin poet. Oh, but she wants to become a physician. So the challenge was, you know, continuing to be that we would have to find a connection between her Latin poetry passion and how good she was at that and the fact that she was also built to succeed in medicine. In both these application personas, we see that like hint of personality again. So not just a computer scientist who's going to be like coding in the library, but oh, they're like an athlete. They have a passion for exercise science. Like they're probably going to leave the library and like go play frisbee or something. And then, you know, a published Latin poet, like she's not going to just be in the lab dissecting people, you know, she might go outside and like write some poetry. Very (laughs) good for her. And then also we see like future goals and impact. So this computer scientist, he has a drive to help his community. This poet future doctor, she wants to become a doctor. So we see like a trajectory there. Yeah. And then let's see. So we also weren't kind of writing these case studies and we're imagining these case studies. When we're like working on these case studies, they could be like super long, like you know, pages and pages, 20 pages, 30 pages, because obviously like the counselors are doing a lot of work with these students. They're working together for years sometimes, their entire high school career sometimes. But let's, we like to just break it down into like a couple bullet points. So Vicky, do you want to go ahead and start telling us, you know, what were the key strategies that Alex's counselors used to help him, you know, gain admissions, stand out in admissions, overcome his weaknesses, challenges, et cetera? Of course. So there's a few bullet points that I want to go over. So I apologize if I go a little bit long here, but it's definitely a very interesting case study. So one of the biggest things that we did with Alex was course selection. So we encouraged him to seek out opportunities in computer science outside of the APs that he was already taking at school. So he was already taking essentially the most rigorous course load available at his school, which tip is something you want to do. And because his school didn't offer all that many any CSAPs, he started seeking them out outside of school as well. So that just went to show the universities that he was seeking out opportunities. He was like going that extra mile to really find these CS opportunities. Another thing that we did with him was extracurricular enhancement. So this focus on extracurricular activities. So as we mentioned before, we really wanted to focus on seeking out leadership roles and community service opportunities where he could really have an impact. And we also wanted to show continued involvement, which is really important in applications as well. You you know, admissions officers don't want to see that you suddenly start something in 11th grade. They want to see continuity. They want to see that you've been involved in it and that you've deepened your involvement in these activities. So that's something that we really leaned into with the leadership role, seeking out these opportunities. He also did something extremely cool, which was starting a signature project, which was an app that helps athletes track physical therapy progress. So you can start seeing where he's connecting his interest in CS and and medical science there, right? So this would be a big part of his application at the end of the day. The signature project was something that really, really like showcased his application persona. So we wanted to make it a highlight of his application. Aside from that, Alex did an academic mentorship for with us. We paired him with Dr. Ganesh Mani, who's an adjunct adjunct instructor at Carnegie Mellon for an academic mentorship, which is one of the signature services we have here at Ingenious. So essentially, he focused on his field of interest and he studied object detection models. So essentially, he did, that's AI term, but he studied something that was really in his sort of area of interest and passion. And he this ended up being a big part of his application as well, because he received a recommendation letter from Dr. Bunny. So this went to show that, you know, he had his research, he had it on his profile, and he really succeeded at this higher level of educational, you know, essentially a class that he took. 
Aside from that, we worked on a school list. So something that happens with these high achieving students is that the school list tends to be not balanced. So they're looking at mostly extremely highly competitive universities. So we need to have a balanced list. So that sometimes may feel a little bit nerve wracking, you know, to take off some of these dream schools from your list. But you really have to be realistic about the chances that you have and what it means to be applying to these top 10 universities. So we did quite a bit of work on that school list. There was a lot of organization that went into it. Alex did quite a bit of research looking into majors, different classes that he would be taking at these schools, and finally produced a list that we were quite happy with, and so was he, which is key. We also, as I mentioned, planning and organization was a big thing. So there were so many spreadsheets that Alex and his counselors used to track progress to make sure that everything and all of the, you know, every single essay, every single part of the admissions process and every single extracurricular, everything was looked at, everything was strategized and everything was organized. And then finally, just the support with his application components was a big thing. So specifically on his personal statement, we did quite a bit of work because he was writing about a sports injury, which is a lot of the time seen as a very, very common essay topic. But because he really genuinely had an interesting spin to this, his unique perspective, we actually encouraged him to write it. And it told a really well-written story about a kid who is, you know, so driven to help his community and have an impact using his skills and his interests. Yeah, we did a TikTok maybe like last year about, well, it's like January 2023. So obviously it was last year. Sorry, having a hard time with like the passage of time, but it was earlier in last year. So like earlier 2022 about like the cliche statement topics based off a blog that Poto wrote. And one of them, of course, was uh, writing about a sports injury. That's like one of the most cliche ones. And we're like, I'm still getting hate comments about it. I'm I'm like, the athletes are still mad about it. I get comments are like, you don't understand how hard it is to be injured. I'm like, I've been in physical therapy for like two years straight. Like I get it, but you have to do it like Alex did it and really think of like a new and fresh way to be approaching this topic. I like what you said about the school list, how the counselors, you know, are helping these really high achieving students. I think one thing our counselors are really great at is helping the students really identify what schools like meet their personality and meet their needs. You know, it's like some students will be like, I'm applying to like all the Ivy League schools. And I think it was, you know, Natalia, our UChicago former admissions officer during her podcast interview who said like, you know, if you're applying to UChicago and you're also applying to Brown, like something has gone wrong. Like these schools are polar opposites. Like you're like fundamentally misunderstanding how much research you need to be doing into the school list process. And then of course, counselors are also very helpful with a strategy of looking at your high school should have like a profile that shows, you know, information about like what schools students at your school usually get into, which schools they usually apply to. And that's super helpful. If you go to a school where everybody applies to UVA, UVA is like not your safety school if everybody's applying there. Like bad news is just true. And it's interesting that Alex got into MIT because MIT actually has something very unique in their application called the maker portfolio. And that is, you know, a lot of students like there's artistic portfolios. So students involved in the arts will often submit portfolios. This maker portfolio is like an opportunity for STEM students to submit their portfolios and to show like projects they've worked on. So I can imagine that Alex probably submitted, you know, his project with his academic mentorship with the Carnegie Mellon professor, or he maybe submitted that app. And I can imagine MIT was probably quite impressed by that. Our chief education officer, Erin, she actually went to the, let's see, it's a long acronym. NACA. National National Association for College Admissions Counseling Conference. She went there in the fall, the fall 2022. um, And one of their like 
big panels was with the MIT admissions officer and they were talking about their maker portfolio and they were talking about, you know, how can other colleges adopt this so that there's more of this like project-based like application component, component at other colleges. One thing Aaron and I discussed is, you know, how can other students that like take a to like take these opportunities and even if the school like doesn't have a maker portfolio like how can these students like create their own projects where can they find to like put those in their application whether it's the essays additional information section but you know admissions officers like they're all like humanities people Mm -hmm. so if you like write that you did like a project if you write in your activities list that you did like a coding project they're going to be like oh yeah sure okay but if you can actually show them like you know, a more specific example, how it works in action, you know, like a abstract of the project, help them like really understand what you're doing. That brings your application to life. And so I've been talking for a while, so I'm going to pass the mic to Poto. So Poto, do you want to tell us about the strategies that Mary used to gain admission? Yeah. So Mary is a really strong student. So our goal was to just take everything that she had and elevate it to a level that made it extraordinary. And so this meant that taking her medical extracurriculars on a national scale. So she started actually her own medical organ. This was something she was running out of school, but then with our help, she, she expanded it beyond her community. She, you know, helped out, uh, you know, her local community. She started an Etsy business that then the money went to kids with cancer, things like that. And then we had that poetry angle, right? So something that actually helps a lot of medical students stand out is an additional interest. And so because she was so good at poetry, we encouraged her to publish. And she ended up having two books published by the time she applied to college. So that was really awesome. But we still had that issue where medicine and poetry were disconnected. So how did we Helper with that, we found that service could be the common sector. So medical students really need to show empathy and altruism, that they really care about their patients, about their community. And one of the ways that Mary kind of brought these things together was that she worked in a hospital with patients, which is volunteering and medicine. And then she used poetry to connect with them. You know, they wrote, they read poetry, they worked on it together. She kind of, you know, passed on her knowledge. And so all three of that connection showed that there was a connection between poetry and medicine and service proved to be that bridge. Also, school research was really important. Brown was the perfect ED for Mary, not just because it has a PLME option, but Brown has an open curriculum, which kind of encourages students to take classes from all over the departments to then bring together for a common interest. So because Mary had this interest in classics and Latin and cognitive science and medicine, she could really, really emphasize how much she would take advantage of that curriculum. And so we kind of strategized that she would write about herself, her personality, her family, and a little bit of connection with poetry and her personal statement, just so that they get to know that she's just a person. She's not a robot. She's not going around doing medicine left and right. She has, you know, family that she cares about and that helps motivate her. And then she would use the Brown specific supplemental essays, not the PLME, but the Brown specific supplemental essays to talk about the open curriculum, to talk about classics and poetry, because she was still applying with a classics major. So the Brown essays kind of dove into those. And then PLME asked about her medical goals. And that's where she kind of dove into that. And she even brought in her family and her work with, you know, poetry and service into those. So those connections in the essays really helped outline her goal and show what a perfect candidate she would be for this specific program. And were those poetry books self-published? They were, yeah. So our team did a lot of research and because of the sense of time, Amazon has an option to self-publish. So her poetry books were available on Amazon. 
That's helpful because I think like from for students listening, they're like, oh God, she published two books. Like, of course she got in, but it's like, you know, you don't need to call up Harper yeah. Collins. There's a lot that you can do on your own. And then on my end for Anna and, you know, listeners will notice that these are like a lot of the same like themes, summer planning, course planning. It's really how the counselor strategize for the individual student within those themes. So a major theme for Anna, you remember, is what she was really lacking was like leadership. She was lacking impact in her extracurriculars outside of school. So a big help for her was summer planning and then extracurricular activity codification. Poto, do you want to define that for us with your like graduate counselor expertise, like what we mean when we say you need to codify your activities? Yeah, it means that. So previously there was this idea that being an all-rounder really helps you in the admissions process. But right now it's like, because students are so specific in their interests, it's the specialization that helps. So when you have an interest, you know, for example, maybe taking like an athlete example, maybe if someone wants to play soccer, but they're also interested in becoming a coder, how you would codify that interest is that maybe you would build an app that connects soccer players in your community. So taking something that you have that might be just a normal activity and then turning it into something that's more serious, that's more impactful, that showcases your leadership and really takes it to that next level. So for Anna's case, her counselors and her, they worked on summer planning, and we've got some great episodes on that as well. So she applied to multiple summer programs. She ended up at Wharton, UPenn Wharton's Future Business World program. She worked on some service opportunities outside of school, and then she also did an academic mentorship. So we matched her with an Ivy League business professor, and that's kind of like the like final, like boss level of codification. She's able to take, you know, everything she was working on inside of school, outside of school at this like Wharton summer program. And she was able to work on it with this Ivy League professor and create this like final project that's like very strong and that she could highlight in her application. You know, she got high praise from the mentor. And as with Vicky's case study, you know, having having like a college counselor at a top school, like already vouch for you, say like, this is an excellent student. This is a student who can handle the rigor. There's really nothing better than that. You Really, like nothing is more impressive. So that was really key to helping Anna stand out. So, yep, Anna got into Rice University. Alex got into MIT. And I'm trying to remember each student's name that we made up. Mary. Mary. Mary got into Brown PLME. So just like closing thoughts as we're thinking about, you know, these specific case studies, but also other case studies. Poto's probably written like one million case studies. What is your number one piece of advice, Poto, for younger students as they're preparing for college admissions, they're preparing, you know, for early admissions? What lessons should they take away from these case studies as they're thinking about preparing, whether, you know, that they, whether they can work with us or whether, you know, they need to work on their own? What can they do? Yeah, totally. I think, first of all, don't get overwhelmed. This is all very scary. But remember that these things are so specific to the individual and every case is different for you. It might look completely different from what we've just described. So don't let that scare you away. I'm sure you'll still have a chance if you take these steps and, you know, show that you really care and you've tried hard in your field of interest. I would say one advice I would offer to younger students is to really talk to your high school guidance counselor. They have been through and seen so much. So they know what kind of school students in your high school apply to. They know what kind of connections the school has with college colleges, and they will write a recommendation that really vouches for you. So take advantage of that resource, ask them questions about, you know, your activities, your classes, what has worked, ask them to put you in touch with alums. And that can really help you do a lot of that research and that school fit component of it. And 
they really just like put you in a good place where you feel well informed about your decisions and your choices. So much of this is school fit. For example, you know, someone applying to Brown may not have fun at U Chicago because you don't just go by a name for these colleges, like find somewhere where you really can thrive and that can actually help you get to a good place. And so it's really about like a two-way street where you guys can, you you and the college can help each other become better. So finding that school, I think talking to your counselors, talking to other alums, that's really helpful. That's great insight for like job applications and like, you know, like the college needs students, the company needs employees. I had like a meeting with an editor and I was so nervous and I was texting my writing group and they were like, they need, they, they need writing. They don't exist if they don't have writing. Like they need you. So kind of just like reversing like the power there. So you're feeling more empowered, less nervous. These colleges, like they, they want to accept you. They're looking for reasons to accept you rather than reasons to reject you. So just, you know, give them reasons to accept you. Show your wonderful personality, your ambitious goals for the future, et cetera, et cetera. And Vicky, what do you think? So my biggest piece of advice for younger students that are looking to prepare early is honestly to actually do it. We hear so much, or rather I hear so much from families, you know, that they're trying, but actually putting it into action is going to be the biggest thing you can do for yourself. If you don't know how, seek out help. It's available through services like ours. If you are going to strategize early, really start doing it. Think about your ninth through 12th grade, what that global view is going to look like. Don't lose that global view of your profile file. And honestly, just take the step. If you want to strategize, if you have a goal in mind, just sit down and make a list. It could be as simple as that. It could be as simple as these are the things I'm interested in and how do I get from point A to point B. So just do it. You can do it. It, I know just echoing what Ellen said and what Paula said, it can be very scary. All of this can seem like so foreign and so far away, but the reality is that it's not. It's very real. It's a very real part of your life. And even though in ninth grade, you may not be thinking about it, it's going to come up on you very quickly. So definitely lean on your school resources, you know, talk to your college counselor. If you have an outside counselor, talk to them, utilize these resources, read our blog, read our, listen to our podcast podcast, like look for guiding resources that are going to help you to actually take these first steps. And if you don't know how to do it, just give us a call and we can give you some guidance. Thank you so much for joining us today, Poto and Vicky. I am sure our listeners appreciate your insight into early admission success. For more information, check out our blog linked in the episode description. If you have any questions or would like to request a topic for a future episode, go ahead and give us a follow and send us a message on social media with the hashtag Inside Admissions. That is all for now. Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time as we continue our journey inside the admissions office.